welcome to another episode of the Hope Mindful Compassion Show. My name is Paul Garrigan and I look after the mindfulness program here at Hope. And I'm Gabrielle Harris. Now Gabrielle, I've kind of seen you, noticed you've been here for the last few weeks and I know that you're not a client. What actually are you doing here? <laughs> well, I was invited to come here um, as part of a research project, which is to uh, try to capture in a book everything that's going on here at, at Hope. Oh, wow. So you're writing a book about hope. I'm writing a book about hope, um, which includes, of course, all the different kinds of therapies that are going on and then trying to find linkages where they act, where therapies work together um, to explain to kind of the general public who might be interested, um, but more particularly to explain maybe to families who have concerns about a family member or, or someone who's afflicted themselves, um, that they want to get a better understanding if they, want, if they, they want to take the plunge. Um, so the idea is to kind of see every facet of it, which has been a bit of a challenge, uh, to try to picture all the different ways in which what HOPE does through its counsellors and, and people with special expertise, um, how it works, how it can impact somebody. Now, I know you were invited, you said you were invited, but why would you want to do this? Ah, <laughs> well, I do have a personal interest. Um, I myself uh, had a mother who was um, definitely had a, a mental problem uh, with depression and uh, a very deep attachment to alcohol. And uh, I lived through that from uh, since I can remember uh, of having what uh, what people who describe children of alcoholics called an absent mother uh, and the highly unpredictable mother that you don't know which mother you're going to meet in the morning and all that kind of stuff. So that was one aspect. And um, I also have uh, another relative uh, who um, has had problems and, and jumped into um, some hard drugs and has since uh, been uh, in partial recovery, um, gone off the hard drugs, uh, but not, I can't say entirely clean, but working on it. Mm. And, and what, kind of, um, what kind of sense of rehab did you have before you, you came here? Had you ever visited one before or had you ever... Well, actually I had been here before. Oh. I was here at the very beginning because I, I brought that relative to Hope uh, with my husband um, because uh, he, he had uh, had a psychotic break and uh, Simon very kindly allowed us to kind of drop him off here while he was taking the antipsychotics which needed to be supervised by someone who knows what they're doing. <laughs> so, uh, so actually at the very beginning uh, when they just moved here, we were here and there were maybe five people. How long ago was that? was about three years, four, four five, years, about five. five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did, have you noticed a big a difference in hope since then? Well, I think the essence of it hasn't changed, but there's a lot of richness in terms of programming and expertise and different kinds of uh, courses um, and trainings that people can do. There's a lot more choices mm. than there were in those days. And also quite a few more buildings as, as hope has expanded. And, and as a kind of an outsider coming into this environment, what would you say is the, the thing that has most surprised you, the thing that you were least kind of expecting? 
Um, well, nothing's going to really pop into my mind. Ex I mean, for me, what's um, something that I hadn't experienced before was having, um, how do you say, a free uh, possibility of talking to the clients and exploring their past with them, obviously with their permission and with their cooperation, only if they wanted to. Um, so, so for me, I'm, I'm somewhat overwhelmed by the stories. Um, and so for me, anything physical or what's going on at home pales in comparison to these stories. And then, you know, following up the stories of the past with, with aspirations for the future and hopes for the future and, and then sort of investigating how they've used the tools that they've been learning. Uh, so that's been such a roller coaster ride for me, emotionally speaking. Um, did you do some research before you came here, like books and rehabs? I did. And um, did I did a bit of the history of, I studied the history of rehabs and um, also did quite a bit of work before I came on what is addiction, mm. um, latest brain science, um, concerning addiction. So kind of the moving pattern of how people thought in mm. history about this this disease or if indeed they thought of it as a disease of the time, because they didn't always, and not even in my mother's time did mm -hmm. they think of it as a disease. So yeah, I kind of um, yeah, I had to do some research before I came. And would you say the kind of the, the descriptions you'd kind of heard of uh, of rehab generally was it is it kind of um, is it like the real thing? <laughs> um, well, I think I've come to the conclusion that actually this is the real thing. <laughs> um, no, obviously this. This experience here is made of many, many, many components, and you know I know because I've been trying to explore each one of them, and there's a, a huge a richness of components that have come together to be the treatment. Um, but I, you know, just just from talking to people, I know that they've had other kinds of experience, and um, while there are some things that are fairly constant, like you know variations on twelve step, there's uh, much more of a sense of being kind of in a well, some people mention the word prison, um, a regimented life in any case, uh, where you're not free, um, not that you can be totally free and in treatment, but, <clears throat> but, but having you know, trivial stuff be free. Mm -hmm. um, so I think this is, uh, as I've learned from, from the counsellors, the, they need this place to be as close to reality as it can be without taking too many risks. Yes. Because when they leave, they're going to be plunged into this reality. So, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with that, that you, you need things to be as close to the edge as possible, but still stay safe. Stay safe. And how have the clients reacted to you? Well, some clients, I'd say most, most people have been receptive. There are some clients that I haven't really made a connection with, so I haven't kind of chosen, I'm not going to push myself onto them. I have, I've put myself in a kind of, an area, I sit all day in an area where people come by, so it maximizes my chance of having a chat with them and telling them what I'm doing. And no, actually, I've been surprised how um, people have been very open to me asking them about their stories. Oh, brilliant. And so, and will that be an important part of the book? Obviously, it will, yeah. Um, we haven't Simon and I haven't decided yet um, exactly how, how the book will be. I'm collecting stories, I've collected staff stories, and I've collected client stories. Um, obviously the client stories will be anonymized, um, 
So how we exactly use that isn't, you know, I'm still f quite a ways from my final uh, draft. And who do you think this book will be for? Who will be interested in it or who could be interested in well, it? Well, I think, I think the families of, of people who are having problems and also the people That's very themselves. important, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think also, you know, I'm hoping that it will also be a contribution to spreading information about the, what we know now about addiction as a disease and what's going on in the brain. I do hope. I'm trying to write that in such a way that it will be quite easily digestible. Because mm. some people think, you know, brain science, I'm not going to be able to understand that. But... But, you know, if you t kind of take a, you know, brains for dummies <laughs> approach, you could make it easier, you know, unpack it and have plenty of diagrams and, and terms and stuff like that. So I'm, that section would probably be a bit sort of dummies-like uh, because I think that's a fabulous education, non-scary education model. And how long more do you have left here? Oh, I'll be leaving on in, a, in about four days. So, and what type of experience would you describe it as, <laughs> if you had to sum it up in a word? Engaging. Engaging experience. Definitely engaging. Yeah. And is the, you know, has the, is, have you kind of picked up anything from being here for like say personally that like that would be a value to you personally? Absolutely, I can tell you that that relative that um, that I have who's who's has been in trouble in the past. Um, he, he still sometimes, I think, is in the process of trying to fool himself about some things. And his way of being, I'm going to be changed forever by CBT practice. Because not only when I'm talking to him, can I read him, I read his sort of inner thoughts that are, that are driving what he's saying. And of course, I'm not going to attack front on, but I do gently question, is that so? Is that real? Is that just a habit kind of thing? Mm. And even myself, I can, you know, I'm more aware now of like the little messages that can, can creep up on you and they may not always be positive. And I'm beginning to identify them and say, go away. <laughs> so, yeah, no, actually, that's a big change for me. That's been quite fascinating to kind of take that on board to really have a more analytical view of sounds in my head it's almost like family members and friends could actually benefit from being in rehab oh absolutely i think anyone could yeah well or they could study cbt i mean it's not it's not exclusively i think for oh. for people with a drug or yeah. substance abuse it's it's a, a mental discipline that's really effective i, I find you know, speaking as a non-expert but yeah. just personal experience it's taught me to really look Look at what messaging is coming up. I mean, given, and this is kind of the, the same subject, but given your experience, you know, having it in your family, you know, in multiple occasions with addiction, you kind of, you must understand what it's like for families out there. I mean, what, what advice would you give to somebody listening to this who had a relative that was kind of caught up in addiction? Um, well, number one, stay strong. <laughs> because that's the most tiring, anxiety-producing experience you can have. And um, while it can be almost harmful to the people around, um, certainly very distressing, you also, I think you also have to keep it balanced. While you may not want to be around that person, but you also need to give them a sense that they've got some sort of support, um, mm. because then it's truly despair for the other person. And you can try to move them in a, a healthy direction, 
if they're adults, you you know you can't force them. It must be it must be very difficult to get the balance right because on one hand you you have people saying you know about tough love, but on the other hand you have this kind of thing about offering support and it's like you know it must be mm-hmm. it's incredibly hard for it's, for family members. It's been very well, especially. <laughs> Uh, especially for members, uh, families where the members don't agree. Mm. Uh, I have that situation myself, where I have uh, continued to support, but you know, not without a critical observation of what's going on. But I've continued to support to enable survival of my relative, um, whereas other people in my family think I should have dropped that person. Have there been any resources that have helped you? Or anything you kind of found that was helpful to you? Um, or did you just kind of have to pick this up the hard way? Well, you know, I drew, I drew a lot on my past with my mother. But, um, uh, no, this was, I mean, all of this was new. Well, we had, I guess one resource was, because uh, I was living in China at the time, I can't often find the right kind of expertise in uh, mental health but we had uh, we did have one CBT counselor who who was very helpful in unpacking the thought patterns of some people oh brilliant um, and I learned a lot from that yeah um, so uh, no the, uh, we, being in China was not a great place to be for this kind of thing especially as uh, you know there weren't there aren't any services that have that a foreign person can go and use in China. So, no. Let's <laughs> come somewhere like Really here. not a lot of resources. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot now, but when, 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 when can you imagine this book actually being available for people? Um, well, it depends on how fast Simon and I agree on what's in the book. 2019? <laughs> I think 2019, yeah. Yeah, I would hope so. I'm, I'm. My personal goal is to get the first, final draft out at the end of October. And how will how will people be able to get hold of this? Um, it's really in Simon's hands, but I, I have a, I have a, I think that he's going to try to get it at least on online selling of some it's kind. Amazon places Probably like Amazon, that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, don't, don't know yet. First of mm. all, he's got to think it's good enough. <laughs> I'm sure it will be. <laughs> So a lot of structuring to go, and I also because I've been it's been overwhelming how much information I've picked up. So I'm spending all the time writing up interviews with people, and then learning new things, and then getting getting pulling counselors out of their rooms and saying, "How do you explain this? What is this doing, and why is it working?" Blah blah blah. So they're probably you know glad to see the end of the back of me probably. But um, I don't think so. I'm sure you'll be missed. (laughs) Well. Yeah, they've certainly been very welcoming and very open, so I have no complaints. They've been super helpful. Well, well, thanks very much for being so helpful today and allowing me to do this podcast with you. You're very welcome. And um, thank you all for listening.